electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Tim Seymour. Tonight on Fast, the man who called the market rebound is here. Julian Emanuel says a big rally is coming. You will not believe how high he thinks stocks could go. We start there with the epic rally to end the month of October. The Dow soaring nearly 300 points, adding to yesterday's huge move. The Dow and S&P having their best two-day gain since February. And it was an October surprise on Wall Street as stocks got crushed this month. And it looked like the selling would just never stop. But the market managed to end on a high note with all the major indices climbing out of correction territory. So are stocks out of the woods yet? Are we setting up for an end of the year rally? Tim, what do you say? Well, hello, Mel. Well, we're certainly out of October. And, and so we got these, you know, a couple days in a row. Everybody knows this stat now. Actually, if you hadn't gotten that erroneous, I think it was erroneous, uh, headline on trade tariffs three days ago, we actually would have strung four days in a row together. Um, what are the concerns that took us down here? Well, ultimately, I think it comes down to valuation for the S&P. So we've had pretty good earnings this week. In fact, the companies that needed to perform, especially whether it's Facebook or even GM today, places where the industrials were being pushed around. You actually got it. I think the bottom here, the bottom line here is that valuations for the S&P right now, I don't think are extraordinarily cheap. Uh, and I think that the dollar, the Fed, trade tariffs, and yeah, Angela Merkel are big issues for this market over the next three to six months. Dan? Yeah, I think the dollar's an important one. I know Tim brought it up earlier today when we were on a call. And, you know, trading the Dixie at 97, we think about rates, 10-year yield back at 314. We think about the Fed meeting at November 8th. I think the language there is going to be very important, and no one's expecting um, an increase right now. I, I will say that after the markdown in the S&P 500, valuations kind of favorable, right? And you look at a name like Facebook, I know it's a stock that, you know... Hold on. Wow. But, well, is Dan being constructive? No, no, well, what I'm right saying is, is that, listen, you know, <laughs> one of the things that, that, that um, I don't like to press lows. We just had a pretty dramatic sell-off in a short period of time. I don't think it was particularly panicky by any means. I think it was panicky in a handful of stocks that we've been talking about. If they all go down together, it's going to take the market down. And that eventually um, happened. I just want to make one really important point. You know, we bounced off at 2,600 the S&P 500. If you go back and you look at the last Last times that we had 10% plus sell-offs in the S&P 500 from an all-time high, it happened in the summer of 2015, it happened in Q1 of 2016, it happened in January and February of this year. What happened? They retested that prior low. And I think there's a chance that we have a few more percent to the upside, and then we go back and test that 2,600 at some point in the not-so-distant future. I think it sounded positive I mean, to start. I don't know. Yeah, it started off. It sounded good. It just sort of. It sounded good. You know, days like today, well, they're they're fun. They're not. They're, I don't really love them actually so much either. You feel like, oh, have I completely missed it, or have a way to come in, or do I want to buy it here anyway? I mean, to me, it's interesting. We're getting as eighty what percent through earnings. So then, what drives us when it's no longer earnings? That's a little scarier to me because we have midterm elections. We have the Fed and we have the trade situation. Those are three big things that all could be potentially really market moving. So I, I get a little bit nervous. I like to pin 
what I, what I buy or sell on fundamentals. And so we're sort of moving out of the fundamental phase. Um, all that having been said, though, I thought... At, at the same time, I mean, these, yeah. these events, they seem to be asymmetrically priced into the market. I, I mean, hope... I, right, I, you, I, you right, take a look at the midterms, yes. I think the I, markets I are pricing in. Democratic win in the House, the Senate will remain Republican on trade. On, I mean, trade, if there is a deal or some sort of right. upside... You think trade's in the market? Or, um, or Karen? No, or no, 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 no I, I'm saying that trade, a deal, is not priced into the market. So if there's any bit of incrementally positive news coming out of G20 in Argentina, that could provide the market with right. some reason I, to move higher, sharply higher. But I, I would also argue that I don't think that negative trade consequences are priced into the market. In fact, I think no. the S&P at, at 170 on most people for earnings next year, up 7%, quickly goes to 150. Even negative trade a consequences impact. meaning what? Meaning the next round of tariffs go into effect in December, meaning... Meaning the old tariffs go up to 25% come 25%. I think the S&P has a moderate impact on, on earnings, which takes you down um, to at least flat, not up 7%, which will affect valuation. Yeah, and I would say it's, it's midterms combined with trade. I mean, I, I, I think that's the entire thing right now. And the other thing is, is there an all-clear that's been, been, been run out for all of us? I don't think so, because volatility is still trading above 20. I mean, I think when the fact that we're trading somewhere between 21 and 22, when we had that VXX buying last week, that signaled something to me that we were going to get an explosive move. Now, is that already come and gone by getting up to 29? I don't think so. I still think that we are in a position now where at some moment the algos take over once again, like they kind of did at the end of today, quite frankly. If you look at the end of the t trade today, we were up 400-plus points. And before you could blink an eye, the closing bell comes up, we finish up 240. I think that's all algorithmic, and I think that think is that the kind of thing. something to do with month end, fiscal year end? Absolutely. Um, and, and so here's the setup, though. I think it's kind of dangerous. If you were to press that last hour of selling, what happens in the first of New Year, or first month of, you know, first, first day days of the first month? You know, that sort of thing. I think it's a dangerous setup to be pressing it right now without any specific news. I thought the rotation was interesting today, though, right? So retail, yeah. which had actually been doing pretty well, up until Crushed. yesterday. Yeah. So that was sort of, all right, that's going to be a source of funds now. Staples got hit. Staples got hit. But we've been talking about Staples is not a place to hide. Too expensive. Banks had a big rally today. Industrials, big rally today. Tech, big rally today. So... I don't know if it's day and one. Fang got a, and and Fang got a little bit of that lift, and I think yeah. because of the Thanks fact the that Facebook. the deceleration of, of, of what people expected, how bad it could be for Facebook, wasn't there. And advertisers are still there. I mean, the combination of those kinds of things, does that mean they're out of the, out of the woods? Absolutely not. I think Facebook still has some major pressure. But they talked about, Zuckerberg talked about, hey, look, we've got a lot of different areas where we think we have monetization possibilities. And that is something we already have priced in, in my opinion. Hey, we're spending a lot of money. And they are. And because they've got so many. Yep. And, and the growth of Facebook is slowing. But other parts of Facebook, I think, still have growth. Just quickly on, on global macro, um, China PMI last night was, was, was missed on the state number. And then when you get the private number tonight, you actually could print with a 49 handle, which means contraction. I think that's concern. I think the news out of the EU over the last couple of days about Angela Merkel resigning as head of the CDU basically means she's out uh, as chancellor sooner than people think. And that has been the one stability part of Europe. I can't underestimate how important that is. It's not tomorrow's trade, but it's absolutely 2019 first quarter trade. All right, well, Fast Money fans everywhere knew to expect this market rally come uh, with the end of the month because our next guest called it a week ago right here on this show. We're buying this dip. So if you look at the last four days, what has happened is we have transitioned in the markets from uncertainty to fear, okay? And all of us sitting around this table know that if you look at the last 30 years, every time you buy fear, it works out, okay? We don't think it's different this time. 
We are joined once again by Julian Emanuel of BTIG. Julian, great to have you back. Great to be here. Was that it? <laughs> Perhaps. We, when the market is as volatile as this is declaring, is that it with capitals, is, is never really the right thing to do. It is a process. Volatility, as we observed, VIX is still well above 20, which means there's lots of surprises. But today was encouraging. Would we have liked to have seen the market close near the highs today? Absolutely. But there were three things about today. First of all, 2711 in our mind was a very key number because actually you've had explosive negative readings in uh, the intraday volume on both of those days where you touched those numbers at the low and the high. Um, but really as well, the other thing for us is on a day like today, there were still lots of buyers of puts. And that almost never happens when you have as strong an up day as, as you had today. So for us, that's the kind of hedging, that's the kind of, you know, residual fear that's still out there that we think once the uncertainty of the election rolls by, however it sorts itself out, that closing of those hedges is going to fuel further upside. Did you like uh, what helped the rally in today's session and in yesterday's session for that matter? We had that pullback that Karen mentioned in retailers, in home builders, for instance. We had strength in financials, strength once again in tech and communication services. Is that the kind of snapback rally you want to see? Very much so. And okay. the, the, the other thing that really made us happy today, when you see one of the world's marquee automakers up 9% on incrementally good news, it tells you that, you know, those are names that are heavily shorted. Those are names that are essentially discounting a large slowdown next year, if not an outright recession, trading better because you just in the economy just isn't there yet. We're still on decent footing. Hey. So well, I was just going to say real quickly, Julian, because you mentioned GM and we talk about housing. I mean, these, these stocks are still down considerably from their 52-week highs. So what is the thing that would catalyze them? Do you see a reacceleration in growth here in the U.S. or globally that can take these groups that have been laggards back up? Well, you know, we have to go back to the two 800-pound gorillas in the room that uh, are going to be with us probably for months. Number one, trade. You know, you have to have some progress in China. Tim mentioned this before. If you don't have progress there, 2019 could be a challenge. Um, the other thing is, again, the Fed. You know, we've talked about this quite a bit. We think the Fed is on the cusp of making a policy mistake. We'd like to see them, at minimum, if they're going to hike in December, think about signaling a dovish hike. Uh, because, quite frankly, the risks of an escalating trade war, if you fix it, there's upside to beyond 3,000. If it escalates, 25% tariffs and further acrimony next year, you know, you, you could trade back down to 22, 2300 very quickly. That's the kind of risk, you know, it's a very large risk reward. So the, Fed's, the Fed hikes rates in December and signals more hikes in 2019 definitively. And you say the market goes down on that. That's likely a negative, yes. Absolutely. But the positive forces in the market right now are enough to bring the S&P 500 to 3,000? We think so. We think so. so. The, you're, you're, I mean, the, you're painting the Fed in a box then because you're saying that everything mm. lines up, right, for S&P 3,000, which would be positive, positive, positive. But then you're saying, well, but the Fed well, has to be dovish. Or yeah. With what leadership, Julian? I guess that's what concerns me because it seems to me that the technicals have broken down for triple Qs and certainly for everybody other than Apple. Where's the leadership coming it's from? It's going to have to come from the more value-oriented sectors and stocks, the industrials, the banks, um, you know, uh, energy, all of these things that, when we look at it, have worked on the short side this year are really where the profits of short-side traders lie, 
And those things, particularly when you think about energy, at 6% of the weight of the S&P, at $65 to the barrel of oil versus an historical weight of 10%, there's lots of room for upside there, particularly when you're going to get Iran sanctions renewed next week. All right. Julian, thank you. Good to see thank you. you. Julian Emanuel of BTIG. Pete, what do you think? Well, you know, I, I actually did for a trade the other day on Monday. I don't know if you saw this, Dan. You might have even put it out on the show. I don't know. But the, the triple Qs, we saw some huge buying at the very end of the day on Monday. I'm already out of that trade because I don't believe what I'm seeing in front of me because of the volatility of what we're seeing in the markets. I mean, volatility is volatile. I mean, when you see a volatility, rally, basically, well, yeah, I mean, it's not even necessarily faded. I just think you've got to trade it because at any moment I could see very easily. I agree with Julian. 3,000? Yeah, maybe under the right circumstances, maybe. But otherwise, there are plenty of headwinds out there that actually could push us down, whether it be the Fed or trade talks or the midterms, I all think those different really things. important to go back to what he said. You know, what gets us back there? What's the, what's the catalyst? You know, when you you got to separate the markets and then what's the thing that the economy is going to happen there that's going to catalyze those stocks to come back? And I just don't see it right now, given all the uncertainty. The thought that we are going to get any clarity on all of these issues that we think are headwinds that we just detailed in the next couple of months to get the markets to 3,000 just doesn't make any sense so to me right the, now. the magically reappearing Julian yeah. can probably oh, answer this. Oh, hey. 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 Wow. I thought I could buy the guest, but I guess that doesn't stand today. So, anyway. so I actually faded just a little bit of my GM position today. Because I look at the charts and I think actually having rallied about 14, 15% off the lows very, very quickly. And I realize we have fresh numbers. I love GM. Uh, I'm being a trader on this one. But uh, GM, banks, industrials rallied early cycle. Uh, there's a strong argument we're late cycle. Um, why will they take the leadership now? Because this cycle is quite different in that you had such a disparity between growth and value that even if this isn't a secular shift back towards value, the valuation disparities, the price gain disparities, you know, which is, again, part of the angst as to why, you know, people are looking at FANG and saying they're broken, et cetera, et cetera. And when you look at a, a stock like uh, the world's biggest uh, uh, mobile phone maker who's going to report tomorrow, it's only trading at 15, 16, 17 times. That stock's different from the rest of the group. That stock's uh, less uh, sensitive to a Fed who's hiking. So it doesn't necessarily have to be in an environment where uh, correlations are lower. It doesn't have to be all tech. Yeah, but it's not less sensitive to slower global growth, and it's not less sensitive to a brewing trade war, because ultimately Apple's going to be the last battle fought in a trade war, and ultimately we will see um, some considerable damage to done to their supply chain and possibly tariffs for their phones coming back in it, here. It, it's a very fair point, and when you look at the last several weeks uh, action in the market, my suspicion is is that Washington is getting that message. Julian, once again, there's some magic again. in the air. Double, double. <laughs> yeah. All right. Fantastic. Despite the two-day rally, 70% of the S&P 500 still sitting in a correction. So which names are poised to make a big comeback? A top technician will weigh in. Plus, Kate here is going to step up to the plate to pick out one winner from the October yeah, carnage. He will give us his fast pitch. And later, Apple is held up amid the market chaos this week. But it all comes down to earnings tomorrow. We'll tell you what the traders are betting on ahead of that report. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast money right after this. That's What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, 
Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. General Motors kicking into overdrive today, soaring 9% after reporting earnings before the bell. The stock is now up 20% in a week. Phil LeBeau's live in Chicago with the numbers. Hey, Phil. Melissa, an impressive report from uh, General Motors. Third quarter earnings beating the street by 62 cents a share. 62 cents. Yeah, 30 cents of that was because of a tax benefit. But that's still an impressive performance, I should say, from General Motors. In North America, this company posted profits of $2.8 billion. And then when you look at what happened in China, the company reported uh, profits, uh, record profits of almost a half billion dollars. Let's take a look at some of the major auto stocks over the last month. When you look at Ford, General Motors, Toyota, Fiat Chrysler, GM clearly having the best performance over the last month, and the Cars Global ETF. Now, this is an ETF that looks at the automakers globally. It's been trending down for the last six to eight months. Well, it finally got a bit of a pop this week. It got a bit of a pop. Not a huge mounting uh, return, but it's moving a little bit higher. But it brings up the question, where are we in terms of an auto comeback? Do we see one around the corner? A couple of things to keep in mind. First of all, sales do remain strong. That's the encouraging news that's out there. There are higher costs because of the tariffs, because of commodity costs, but they're also selling these vehicles at higher prices. So they're able to offset some of that by passing it along to the customer, but there's still no valuation love. And speaking of valuation, you've got to look at Tesla because the last month has been well, a roller coaster for Tesla, but ultimately, this is a stock that has moved higher over the last month following the first uh, profit that they've reported in a long time, better than expected earnings. And Melissa, you know that I love to give you a stat of the day. I give you this one from the earnings reports of the third quarter from GM and Ford. Globally, General Motors' profit per vehicle in the third quarter up 47%. That's GM. Ford's profit per vehicle in the third quarter down 17%. Wow. It shows you that these are two companies going in different directions. All right, Phil. Um, you know, what's interesting about GM, what stands out to you in terms of why the company looks better now after this earnings report? Because you take a look at how the stock has moved. Right. It puts it at September levels, so it really hasn't advanced too far. And then it raised the upper end of its full-year guidance, and it had lowered right. its guidance back in July. So where are we with this company? I think people are still concerned that we might see the consumer pull back. And when you listen to the GM conference call today, look, Mary Barber was very clear that they're still seeing strong demand. And while there may be dealers out there who are saying, look, we see a little bit of a pushback when it comes to higher interest rates, the sales are still there. The, the transaction prices are close to a record high. And that's one reason why you might see a little bit of conflict in the eyes of investors saying, Boy, we really like what they're doing in North America. No doubt about it in terms of where the truck market is, the SUVs, their, their cadence of vehicles. At the same time, are we near the peak in terms of sales? And, and if the U.S. starts to cool off, that cools off the profit driver for General Motors and really for all of the automakers. All right, Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau in Chicago for us. Phil listened to the call. Karen, you listened to the call, too. Yeah. So what did you think? Well, the call was really impressive, no doubt about it. And I mean, and he talked about the differential between Ford and GM. I think the GM mix, the mix particularly in China, was fantastic. Cadillac is doing great there. The mix in the, in the U.S. was great. 
I mean, they're, you know, hitting GM on financial. all cylinders. Doing GM great. Financial, which, adding, is, which is now dividending money up to the parent, and they expect they, they will continue to do so. It was most interesting to me that in an environment where company after company has tried to be a little bit cautious because of trade, you know, China or, or who knows what else, um, how it's going to shake out, rather, they were comfortable enough to not only you know be optimistic, but maybe even to say maybe there's even upside ahead of uh, beyond that. That was really impressive to me. But bold or stupid? I think I don't <laughs> think this management is stupid. No, I, I don't. I think they have a sense of where their business is, and it's and, that good. And it's that good. Could that change? Of course it could change. But you know, I, I it, it's every time it's up a huge day like this, it always gives some back. But I don't want to trade around it. I just think at this level. It's good to own. You own it, too. Yeah, so you hear me talking about this. You know, the quality management teams deserve a quality multiple. I think this management team deserves a premium. And I think Mary Barris, since she came in, really has streamlined this business. They have three distinct profit centers that are crushing it right now. North America is even more impressive because they're only partway through this, this pickup uh, release cycle, which means there's probably more follow-on room. At 6 bucks, which they've reiterated for 2018, you guys can easily do the math right now. It's six times. And they're paying you 4.5% to be there. Every time they've reported over the last two years, They've reaffirmed numbers that they gave you despite the market's skepticism. So why did I sell a little bit today? Because I think after a 20% move and a move up to this 36.50 level, I think I can buy that 25% back. And frankly, the way this stock is traded, I think I will. Would you ever find a reason to add if it doesn't yes. pull back? I mean, that's yes. one thing. Because I continue yes. to hold it. I think you hold it. You're holding it. But you actually trimmed some today. I didn't trim some. I would rather have today sold some calls against the position right now rather than, than, than taking off some of the stock because it is so cheap. And they talk about strong demand. And they talked about the profits they're making, not just here, but internationally. I think that combination, I know we've heard it time and time again, but it sure seems to me like they're delivering again, you now, hate and that's stock, great. By the way. Well, it's funny. Oh, um, you remember last week I freaked out on you? I remind well, which me, which time? day was oh, that? <laughs> but, but here's the thing. David I, I suspected time. that people yes. were waiting like Tim to get out of this thing. And I actually was hoping that this thing would go back and retrace closer towards 30, be a sort of dogs in the Dow into, the, uh, into 2019. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you why. This year started out, a lot of analysts were very bullish on the autonomous story. They were right. saying that this could be a $30 billion business for GM. GM bought cruise automation last year. They invested in Lyft. So right. ride hailing. They're, they're kind of positioning themselves to be in the future are, of automotive. Of but I want to buy that story into 2019 when Uber's getting ready to uh, go public, when Lyft's getting ready to go public. I think this stock It's not in the will, story, though. But I, I, well, can I finish? But, Sorry. You're freaking out on me here, brother. And I'm just saying, like, I think that you want to buy this story down and out where that's not being valued for anything because I think that could be a great 2019 story for GM. I think that's not getting a lot of value. They, I mean, they've had two deals this year to give a valuation to Cruise, the last one being a $12.5 billion. I don't think it's in there. All right. For more on GM and the auto space, you can go to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up tonight. I'm freaking out, man. That's what investors are saying ahead of Apple's earnings report. But don't freak out. We'll tell you exactly what to expect. Plus, Pete Nigerian is stepping up to the plate to pitch one name that's been hammered in the October meltdown. He'll tell us what it is and why he thinks it's heading for a major rebound. Much more Fast Money right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. Despite today's big rally, October has been a rough month for the markets with 70% of the S&P 500 now in correction. Bob Bassani is live at the New York Stock Exchange. Hey, Bob. At least we got out of October alive. You know, we had a terrific rally. It lifted the Dow 1,000 points from Monday's lows, but it couldn't obscure the fact that it was one of the ugliest months in years. The S&P was down almost 7%, its worst month since September 2011. Now, there were several themes. Number one, most importantly, a slowdown in global growth concerns in Europe and China. On top of tariff issues, that was number one. It badly damaged the big energy, industrial, and material names you see here all down double digits for the month. Technology was hurt by big worries about a slowdown in semiconductor demand and a takedown in the high-growth FANG names. Consumer discretionary hurt by a big drop in Amazon and a brutal month for housing stocks, concerns about higher rates and slower sales. Now, consumer discretionary, this is a very good example of what happens when a stock becomes too dominant in any one sector. Amazon is about 23% of the weighting in consumer discretionary. That's too much. And when it dropped, the whole sector dropped. Then you throw in the big declines in Home Depot, DR Horton, and the home builders, the appliance makers like Whirlpool on these housing concerns. And you can see why it was a rough ride for consumer discretionary. Not surprisingly, when the market turned late Monday, these most oversold sectors you saw there were the ones that bounced the most. So communication services, that was helped by that big rally in the FANG names, Facebook, Netflix, Alphabet, they're all in that one. Now, for November, for November, watch the buybacks. November is the busiest month for buybacks, and corporations have plenty of dry powder available to buy back their stocks cheaper. And the king of buybacks has yet to report, yeah, you know that one, Apple reports tomorrow after the bell. They are by far the biggest user of buybacks out there. In the first six months, the company repurchased about $44 billion of its own stock. They could buy back $100 billion in stock this year. That would be 10% of all the buybacks, they've already, Melissa, this year, reduced their share count about 5%. That's remarkable. 25% reduction in share count in the last five years. Melissa? All right, Bob, thanks. Bob Bassani at the NYSE. Well, let's talk more about beaten down areas that are beginning to look like a buy. Rob Slimer of Fundstart Global Advisors is at the plasma. He's ready to break it down for us. Hi, Rob. Hey, Melissa. So obviously the cyclicals, as Bob pointed out, have been just hammered over the last number of months, particularly going into October. We're going to look at three sector charts, energy, uh, industrials, and then materials. 
and we can see just the weakness. I think there's a couple of points to be looking at. First off, when we look at these long-term charts of, of the sectors in top panel, relative performance in the bottom panel going all the way back to 2008, once again, this relative performance in the bottom panel is such an important indicator of where that leadership is in the market. Note that big divergence between real and relative price going into 2014 and 2015, and it's continued to bleed lower. It's really kept you out of these sectors. There's potentially some bottoming action starting to develop on a relative performance basis. It's still very early, and we can see that the price of the energy sectors come down into some support. So while it's a very small uh, picture on, the, on this particular chart, a lot of these energy names have just been hammered and they're fairly oversold. We're starting to see some balances take hold. Now, when we look at the materials sector, we have a similar sort of profile, right? That relative performance diverging meaningfully from absolute price and really weak going into the last couple of months, breaking down through this big trading range that we had all the way through 2018 with the absolute price, the real price of the index, back to that 200 week. And that tends to be a pretty long-term support level. And then lastly, when we look at the industrials, again, you generally have an uptrend in price. And relative performance has been much more mixed. Big sideways trading range, and you're roughly down at the low end of that range. And again, at that 200-week moving average, they're setting up for bounces. So Tom Lee put out an interesting note this morning highlighting when the most oversold sectors crack the way they have. They get deeply oversold. They tend to snap back, and we're starting to see that here now. So what do you buy? I still like charts that are in better technical profiles. There's lots of names you can buy that are dumpster stocks that are deeply oversold. But here's Conoco in the energy patch. It really hasn't broken down. This is a daily chart. It only goes back a year and a half. And it's sitting at some very important price support right at its 200-day uh, moving average. And it's starting to hook up. And you're starting to see a little bit of relative strength. So that's an interesting name in a beaten down sector. Next, if we look at uh, the industrials, and these are all stocks that rank very highly on our quantitative model, Sam Doctor's DQM model. These are all in the top uh, quintile. And here's Norfolk and Southern. So again, you can dumpster dive, but here's a stock that's corrected back into a lot of support right to the 200-day, and that relative strength is starting to hook up as well. So good-looking charts, still in uptrends, bouncing off the 200-day, relative strength's improving. I think those are healthy names to be looking at within these beaten-down sectors. And lastly, while this is a weaker name, and this is a weekly chart going much farther back to 2014, Air Products, again, highly ranked on our quantitative model run by uh, Sam Doctor off the 200-week moving average, the four-year moving average, and you're starting to see very early signs of a positive divergence. So those are three names. If you're looking to be buying in the cyclical area, those are the names I'd be looking at. All right, Rob, why don't you come on over? Stephanie will bring the chair in. Nice. Thanks, Stephanie. Where you go, Stephanie? So in terms of seeing um, these sectors as due for some sort of a bounce, the yes. sectors seem to paint a picture of a strong economy or strengthening economy. On the bounce. On the, or, or, I mean, saying that these sectors are going to bounce, materials, energy, and industrials. Well, they're certainly in longer-term downtrends. I think we want to be, uh, I want to separate, at least technically, the difference between stocks and, and sectors in downtrends, deeply oversold and staging oversold re recovery rallies, which I think could you know, last right into year-end, possibly into the first quarter, seasonally strong periods of time. So very depressed, almost like a beach ball being pressed down, they pop back up. But I'm not convinced there's sustained leadership in 2019. We're, I'm still concerned, technically, on the whole market cycle that began in 2016 is fraying. You're starting to see lower highs. You're seeing trend breaks develop across emerging markets, EFA, uh, cyclical sectors like financials and industrials. So a tremendous trade. 
but unlikely sustained leadership from a technical standpoint. So, so really interesting because you just threw a bunch of stuff in there. Thanks you know, look at the XLI. And so Mel's question really was like the picture you're painting is that if those sectors are going to rally, that would suspect that the economy is improving because those sectors would benefit. Look at the XLI. It just broke that two-year uptrend it's been. It yep. made a massive double top from earlier this year to just recently. It's down in a straight line 20 percent. You know, what do you expect out of a group like that that is really important as an input to a lot of people trying to figure out what's going on in our economy? Well, it's a, it's a great question. So when you look at most of the cyclicals, right, banks, industrials, materials, all of these have broken those two-year uptrends, yeah. two- to three-year uptrends. And again, if the cycle bottomed in 16, two and a half years into what I think is a normal four-year cycle, we're looking for a major low in 2020. 2019 is probably rough, but you do get these counter-trend moves. And I think that so many of these names have just been hammered over the last certainly over the last couple of months, but many of them started to peak back in the beginning of 18, those trend breaks tell you there's a bigger problem, in my opinion, from a technical standpoint. So you picked air products. Was it anything specific to them, or was just the chart that compelling to you? So it was a very different chart from the other two that I picked. The other two were still in rising uptrends. The 200 days still rising. They came right back down and started to bounce. Uh, air products screens very well from a quantitative standpoint on our, on our Sam Doctor screen, which I think is a, a good... Uh, screen to filter out the best from the worst, fundamentally. Uh, and then from a technical standpoint, it's right at that 200-week. And I often find that that 200-week moving average is a very good long-term support level. And you're starting to see some relative performance divergence. In other words, price has uh, gone to a new price low, relative performance has not. So that always grabs my attention. Who's the Sam doctor you keep mentioning over at Fundstrat? <laughs> well, Sam, Sam is our quant <laughs> data scientist. Like, so, 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 doctor. The doctor's in. Incredibly bright Is that bright his actual guy. name or is he a doctor? It absolutely oh, okay. is. And right. incredibly bright. Helps me out all the time. And he's got this terrific model that we've doctor. been looking at that, that, that tracks very okay. well. Uh, and it's a great screen. The, the quintile one stocks continually outperform, not every month, but most months. Quintile fives are where all the disasters are. You just want to avoid them. All right. Go Sam Doctor. The doctor. Uh, the Rob, doctor. thank you. Uh, Rob Slimer up on Doctor. Still ahead, we've got much more on a wild month for the markets, plus our own pit boss. Pete here has one beaten down name. He says he's about to make a major comeback. His fast pitch is coming up. Plus, yeah, Apple soaring ahead of its earnings report tomorrow, and traders are betting the stock could be on its way back to new highs. We'll tell you what to expect when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. After a huge day for tech, Apple is gearing up to report earnings tomorrow. Josh Lipton's live in San Francisco on what to expect. Hey, Josh. Mel, I caught up with Piper's Mike Olson today. Here are some of the key themes he says to look out for tomorrow when Apple does report those results. One initial demand for the new 10S and 10S Max, Apple's latest and greatest phones, which became available, remember, on September 21st. Bulls betting those will be hits with consumers and drive average selling prices higher. Two, Q1 revenue guidance. That is the critical metric. Olson saying that's going to tell us the level of confidence Apple really has in the 10S and 10S Max, as well as indicate how that 10R is now performing. And three, it's not just hardware, of course. Services will be front and center. Street expects that business to jump 20% in the quarter to more than $10 billion. And another hot topic, mainland China, remember, accounts for about 15% of Apple's annual revenue. Apple's a top five smartphone vendor in that country. So how did Chinese consumers feel about those new iPhones, especially the Macs? Larger iPhones have historically attracted a lot of fans over there. Mel, back to you. All right, Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Pete, how are you trading Apple? 
Well, I th I'm long at going into the number. I, I would absolutely add, I think, if it goes down, unless there was something shocking on the earnings call, but sometimes the reaction, I think, is an overreaction to something, one small negative. I think the reality is I'll be looking at two things really primarily. Services, see that number, and he brought that up as one of his, but also wearables. Because if the growth continues in those two areas, I think people understand that the phone is probably lightening up a little bit. I hope that they should be understanding that, but we'll have to see. But I, I think those are the two most important parts of this report. Where do you stand on Apple these days? I own a little bit. I bought it after that last quarter, which was so extraordinary. Unfortunately, not before that quarter. Average selling price to me, that's going to be, that's really important in services revenue. And also, I mean, in the context of this, you know, broader trade situation, but I don't know what we're going to hear about that. That's really interesting don't. to me that you bought it after that number, which I get. I, so did I, actually. But but what was the catalyst for you to say, you know what, um, valuation, by the way, about as expensive as it's been in a couple of years. I don't think the stock's expensive. But mm -hmm. what 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 had you going in there? What changed for you on that number? Uh, well, it was sort of strength across the board. I mean, they seem to be executing on just about every metric. The average selling price was very good. Uh, services were services, very good. Yeah. And, I, and I guess I think that the evolution of that story from a hardware sort of multiple company to a steadier state, which would be a higher PE multiple company, is happening. Can I say one thing on that? So, yes. One thing that's interesting about that is, you know, J.P. Morgan actually now prices the stock on a blended multiple. So they actually do a hardware and a software. So they do it at about 16 times on the hardware, and they do it at 25 times on the services business, much like a times. consumer discretionary or software company. That's interesting. The options market is implying a pretty big move for Apple when reports tomorrow. So, Dan, what are you seeing? Yeah, about 5% in either direction, about 10.5 bucks. Um, and that's a little rich to the four-quarter average, but about 4.5%. Um, you know, here's the thing. Like today, you know, you saw a lot of action in the um, November 2nd weeklies. The most active strike was actually um, the November 2nd, 220 uh, calls. Almost 20,000 traded at an average of $4.70. Um, it looked like a lot of those were bought. Those are near the money ways to participate for a move back towards um, those prior highs. The stock seems pinned to 220 um, right here. And I just make one point. You know, when we look at this chart, this stock has acted very special over the last few weeks. When you think about how much damage has been done to the MAGA complex, the Microsoft, the Apple, um, the, the Google, and the Amazon, this thing is massively, massively I love how he just MAGA complexed it, too. But, like, look at those charts He has a MAGA complex. He has a MAGA complex. Good point. Yeah, I do. But look at those two charts, right? Uh, that chart right there. Is the, obviously, there's some support just below current levels and then 190 that's the air pocket on any disappointment down to the uh, prior quarter level all right for more options action check out the full show friday 5 30 p.m eastern time coming up weed stocks flying high after falling double digits this month there was a key event this week that could signal the pot trades about to heat up we'll explain plus pete here stepping up to the mound getting ready to pitch the one sickly stock he thinks is about to make a major turnaround find out the name when fast money returns Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks rallying today after what has been a brutal October for the markets. The S&P 500 posting its worst month since 2011. It is now down 8% from its all-time high. Nearly three-quarters of stocks 
in the index are in correction or worse. But Pete here sifted through the wreckage, and he's got one bean down name he says could make a comeback. Pete, what's your pitch? Well, and this is an entire sector that's been beaten up, and I'm going towards biotech. My name for tonight is Celgene, and here's why. When you look at this company and you start with the CEO, this is a CEO who's been, been in the world of pharmaceuticals as well as biotech for over 30-plus years. you got to love that kind of experience. Also, he's a gambler. He's a guy who's very aggressive. Made the largest acquisition for Celgene just this past year in Juno Therapeutics. So I think that sets up for something very good going into the future. But for now, take a look at just how attractive it is from a valuation perspective. We're talking single digits P.E. This is a company that buys back their own shares. They've got great cash flows. I think fundamentally it's in the right spot, but they've got to prove to everybody they've got growth. Well, just a few days ago when they reported, you take a look at the earnings growth, found that 20% area. We look at the revenue, about 18% growth. So they do have growth. When you start looking through this company, you get very, very impressed. And by the way, they've got an incredible lead drug that continues to grow. But on top of that, there are five different names in the pipeline right now that I think potentially are blockbusters. So when you look at all of this together, it's been oversold. I think this creates an opportunity. Hey, Pete, I, yeah. I, I tend to agree, and I think it's, it's representative of biotech overall. But I, yeah. I, I worry that guidance for 2018 wasn't strong enough for a company that's been disappointing for six months, rev limited, what, what, generics. What do you, you know, what do you expect is going to be the tide turner here? Well, I think one of the things, Tim, was that one of the things they did talk about when they did give that guidance, though, I mean, we're talking about a company that their continued growth is, I think, very impressive. I think that somehow it got discounted and everybody was very angry. One of the things that they did miss on was they talked about some of their revenue and they missed by like 100 million, I think, at the very most. That's really not that big when you're talking about $15 billion in terms of revenue projections. So keep an eye on this name. I think it's way too cheap. No more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying Pete's pitch on Celgene? Karen, what do you say? Yes, I am. Oh. It's probably hard to tell, but that is Pete. I'm not the, yeah. Uh, I am. Are you happy at attractive valuation? Dan. Uh, listen, I'm also buying it. If you've been buying Pete's picks over the last month, you couldn't afford a pumpkin. But I think he's going to turn it around right now. So go get him, big guy. That's interesting because I actually drew Pete as a pumpkin, and I actually called it a buy because I think ultimately not only is the valuation there, but I think the expectations now for this company are nowhere bar as low. Clean sweep yeah. here on the desk, but are <laughs> nice you job, at home pumpkin. buying Pete's pitch for Celgene? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money right now, and we'll have the results later in the show. Plus, let's get a check on our Kramer cam as we head to break, and tonight Jim is sounding off on Fang and talking about why he regrets creating the acronym in the first oh, place. No. Oh. Maybe he wishes he created MAGA. What? Doubt it. <laughs> but you can catch it all at the top the of the complex. hour on MAD. Much more fast straight ahead. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. Volatility hitting a fever pitch this month, and it's been a wild, wild ride for pot stocks. Aditi Roy's in San Francisco with the details. Hi, Aditi. Hi, Melissa. It's been a roller coaster for many pot stocks this week, adding an exclamation point to an already volatile month after the sector had a months-long rally leading into Canadian legalization. So far this year, through September 30th, the major Canadian exchange had 18 new listings, and the two exchanges had a total of 43 listings with a combined market cap of 47 billion Canadian dollars. That is, of course, the cannabis sector. Here's how some of the top companies in that area are doing. Canopy Growth 
shares on the big board. End of the regular session in the U.S. up more than 8.5%, but the stock is down more than 23% month-to-date on pace to break a two-month win streak with its worst monthly performance ever. The stock is up 20% since it started trading on the NICE. Tilray shares also ending the regular session up about 5%, but it's down 32% month-to-date. The stock is up about 468% since its July IPO. And Aurora shares rising 11% in the regular session, but the stock is down 29% on pace for its second worst month ever. It is down 21% since it went public on the NICE last week. It's also been a wild ride for Cureleaf, which just went public in Canada on Monday. Shares which were initially offered at 11.45 Canadian dollars took a nosedive after the company went public on Monday. They have rebounded since. The stock ended today's regular session up just short of 10%. Meantime, GMP Securities put out a note on the company earlier this week saying with its multi-state platform and production base, Cureleaf has, quote, emerged as the new industry leader among public U.S. cannabis companies. Melissa, back to you. All right, Aditi. Thank you so much, Aditi Roy in San Francisco. For more, let's welcome the chairman of Cureleaf, Boris Jordan. Boris, welcome to the show. So you're a vertically integrated cannabis operator here in the United States that listed in Canada. So that effectively means what you do everything from grow to distribute? That's right. We, okay. we, we in every state, because of uh, national, federal regulations, we have to both grow it, we have to manufacture it, we sell it, we can't interstate it has traffic. To, it has to stay in the so state, in other words. it's a silo yeah. in every single state. It's mandated by both federal and by state laws. If there were federal legislation legalizing cannabis, what kind of switch would be flipped for your business? I think it, it would, you know, it depends on what kind of legalization you have. There's two legalization laws on the docket now. One is called the States Act. It's the Warren Gardner Act. Um, that one really, what that does is it keeps the state structure in place. It doesn't reschedule cannabis from Schedule One, but it allows federal banking, federal markets. It gets rid of the uh, uh, the sort of uh, the 280e tax structure, but allows this. It's a federal law that allows the states to make their own determination on cannabis. The other one is full rescheduling. I think we're just not there yet. I mean, I just don't believe the Trump administration at this point in time is prepared for full rescheduling. For the first scenario, then, for the states, what kind of switch would be flipped if that were to come to You know, I, I think that that would, would, the main thing would be it would allow companies like ours to raise money in the U.S. and U.S. capital markets. I mean, the biggest travesty is, is that, <clears> you know, we're, we're, a, we're a $4 billion company that had to go to Canada to raise $400 million. We couldn't do it in our own market. Whereas the Canadians can not only raise money in their own market, but they can come here. And you really have to differentiate between the two. And that's the one thing I think people don't recognize. I was just listening to the report. I mean, Canada is a market of 36 million people. We're a market of 320 million people. So the volatility that's happened in the last few days, to be honest, should have happened. Because Canadian stocks were overvalued for the market size that they're in, right? I mean, there's no justification, in my opinion, for the types of valuations we've seen in these Canadian stocks, and it's because they've had little small floats and a huge amount of demand, whereas the U.S. companies are much better valued from a, yeah. from a earnings perspective. I mean, the difference is U.S. companies are all making money, and U.S. companies are growing at, at 100 to 300 percent a year, whereas the Canadian companies aren't but even generating But shouldn't there be revenue. a discount to the valuation for a U.S. company if you don't have um, cannabis federally legal? I mean, you're operating with handcuffs on versus the Canadian companies, which have full legalization on the recreational as well as the medicinal So you use. would think that, but in fact, it's absolutely the opposite. So the, the problem with the Canadian market is that the Canadian market is, is, is con the sales points are controlled by the government, and the government wasn't ready for the launch uh, on October 17th. And so the stores all ran out of product. 
and the government doesn't have enough stores to open to service the public. Whereas in the United States, all the companies control their own distribution. Right. And so, so that's why we have much more different revenue profile than the Canadians do. Boris, great to speak with you. Thank you, Boris Jordan. Where are the valuations now? Uh, look, this company trades significantly cheaper to the mega caps in, in Canada, mega cap being a relative term. And, and bottom line, the U.S. deserves a premium, frankly. It's the biggest market. There's the highest concentration, the highest density. Um, and what's interesting about Cureleaf is these guys, you know, we talk about store openings for Starbucks in China. This is an emerging market. It's a new asset class. These guys are opening stores in multiple states right now. And that leadership advantage, I think, is one of the reasons why they probably deserve that valuation premium. Up next, final trades. Do you know what Pete is dressing up for? Oh my goodness. Tonight. Tony Braxton. Oh, my all-time favorite singer. Universe is not buying Pete's sell jeans pitch. Sorry, Pete. He's better looking than you are. Although I think people are voting just to hear Tony Braxton. Kind of like Tony Braxton hearing. myself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, always was not a to fan. Like. Final trade time, Pete. I'm going to go XOP put. Some huge buying just the other day. I think we're going to see a little bit of a pullback in some of these energy names. Chairwoman. Yes. Uh, in the energy space, Golarts, not just their developments. It's they've got a lot of LNG carriers and day rates are through the roof. Dan? Um, yeah, Intel had a good quarter last week. Unexpected. Stocks unchanged on the year. Maybe new CEO soon. I think it's cheap. Dan, great costume tonight, by the way. Um, <laughs> Matt, what are you doing? Up? What are you, he's wearing a bullish costume. <laughs> yeah, Tony well, Braxton. Anyway, I'll be the, one of the handsome brothers for the 15th year in a row. Google. Nice snap back. Actually, this is the best member of Fang in my view. Google. See you back here tomorrow. Five more fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.